I've been excited to start this series and uh, interested in this story of Martin Luther for a long time, but over the summer and into the fall, I have been uh, reading extensively. Um, So uh, open your hearts, open your minds to what God would teach you through this man, Martin Luther, and I hope that you'll see just the huge impact that he has had on each of your lives. The date was October 31st, 1517. A relatively unknown professor, Martin Luther, nailed 95 arguments or theses for academic debate to the doors of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, where he lived, taught, and preached. This would have been an unimportant moment. In fact, this Augustinian monk had posted a thesis to the same door a month earlier that got no response whatsoever. But that simple act and that ordinary date on the eve of All Saints' Day 500 years ago this month would be the match that lit a fire of the world. And that fire continues to impact your life every day, though you probably don't even realize it. There would be no Presbyterians without Luther. There would be no Protestants. We would, might be all be Catholic right now. Our worship service might still be in Latin. Pastors could not marry before Martin Luther. So there would be no Rimmer children without Martin Luther. In fact, a number of your views about marriage and the priorities of marriage probably come and are influenced by Martin Luther. Martin Luther developed the, at that time, brand new industry called printing and publishing. You get pretty books because Martin Luther propelled that industry forward. Law and education are different because of Martin Luther and his movement. There would be no United States without Martin Luther. It was Martin Luther's movement that got this idea of a nation state even started. Nations weren't nations, they were kingdoms before that. And many of those followers of Martin Luther's movement would, have, would be persecuted and have to move away from persecution. And where do you think a lot of them moved? To this new world. There would be no Bible in English, let alone German, without Luther. People did not emphasize following their conscience before Martin Luther. And I hope as we go through this month, you will see each of these sort of brought out of the story. Now certainly one could argue that Martin Luther, if he hadn't done these things, somebody else would have. And and it's definitely true that there was a movement going on and there were changes going on in the world when Martin Luther was alive that that was propelling this stuff forward. But, But there wouldn't be... You can say maybe somebody else would have done it and it would have happened another way, but, but it, it didn't. It happened through Martin Luther and the movement that he started. And the first match was a piece of paper on a door 500 years ago. This is the story of that page. Let's understand the context first. um, Europe is coming out of what would later be called the Dark Ages, or sometimes called the Middle Ages. One of the main defining characteristics of the Dark Ages was the plague. People didn't know what was happening with the plague. Conditions were very dirty. People died. Whole communities died. 
the chances that your children would all reach adulthood were slim to none. You were going to lose at least one of your children. So you had lots of children to try to get more to adulthood. But the dark ages were given way to the enlightenment. Dark becomes light. There was a, new, a renewed interest in books, an idea, a printing press invented by Johannes Gutenberg in 1440 was developing into a network of printers so that a book could be printed and then sent to the next town and printed there and sent to the next town and information could be spread out. The Americas had been discovered. There was a whole new world before us to be explored. But this was also a moment of great political struggle. The Roman Empire, still left over from the days of Jesus, was all through Europe. Empowered by the Pope, run by an emperor, but still was struggling. They were spread thin. They had lost power. They had lost people. The Turks from the east were giving them lots of problems. They relied on regional rulers to handle much of the governance. So here's the struggle. All these people that are facing death, right? All these people that are seeing death, seeing whole communities die of the plague, seeing their children, seeing their, their family members die. What do you think a lot of their conversation was about? Death, right? Death and the afterlife and hell. And are we being punished? And is God cruel or is he loving? How could a God that's loving let this all go on? Why is it that some people suffer so much? Maybe they thought it's because of demons. It's because of evil spirits lurking in the woods. There's a reason why the Brothers Grimm could capture so many scary stories and folktales from Germany. Okay? Not all of them originated in Germany, but it was really part of the culture to write many of those stories. On the other hand, you have many in the church, though not all, who in their security and perhaps a sense of entitlement are capitalizing on these times. They use people's fears to collect money for time out of purgatory, a theological sort of gray area actually in the church. These printed blessings called indulgences where you would pay your money and you would get yourself or your family members sprung from purgatory early. Purgatory is sort of this waiting period where you're tortured before to get all the sin out of you, to purge the sin from you before you can actually get to glory in heaven. Most priests could not read the Bible. The Bible was in Latin, but if you couldn't read Latin and you couldn't afford to have a big Bible printed or a hand copy version, you, you didn't have the Bible. Nobody had the Bible. I'm telling you, priests could not read the Bible. And so there's nothing to correct all of this bad theology. And, and this exact struggle is the struggle that Luther is born into. Let me show you Luther. I'm so excited. Thank you. <laughs> Luther, Luther. There's Martin Luther. And look, I even have the same hat as him. See, it's the doctoral Tam hat. There you go. I'm not going to wear the hat, though. This is Martin Luther. And he, he comes out of this same world of fear and distraught. And I must be a sinner. And the demons must be out to get me because of the cruelty around my world. And so when Luther's in a lightning storm, as the legend goes, he, he's, 
he's thinking, okay, I'm done now. The demons are going to get me. The spirits got me. And so he makes this vow to God that if God gets him out of there, he will become a monk. And he did survive. He joined the, most, the harshest order of the Augustinian monks. He shaved this wonderful ring of hair around his head, prays seven times a day, works hard, and lives and eats simply. In fact, Luther was so serious about how sinful he was and how bad he was, he would even harm himself. He would even whip himself, trying to get the sin from his body. He could not come to grips with how evil he was and how God must be so judgmental of him. He wrote this. I tortured myself with prayer, fasting, vigils, and freezing. The frost alone might have killed me. What else did I seek by doing this but God? who was supposed to note my strict observance of the monastic order and my austere life. I constantly walked in a dream and lived in real idolatry, for I did not believe in Christ. I regarded him only as a severe and terrible judge, portrayed as seated on a rainbow. Jesus, who is Jesus? He sits on a rainbow and he judges you. And you better beat yourself up. You better be cruel because you're so evil. You're not worthy. And he's going to judge you. Luther once said, if ever a monk would have gotten to heaven by his monkery, it was I. And he made up that word monkery because Microsoft Word did not want to let me write that. The head of his order, so concerned with how self-focused and self-obsessed Luther was, um, was concerned. And, and so he has this idea. You know what I need to do? I need to get Luther busy. Luther's smart. He's got a smart intellect. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send him to school. And I'm going to make him learn Bible and theology. And he'll be so busy, he won't have, be so self-obsessed with his own sin. So Luther went to the University of Erfurt. And he learned Latin. And he studied the Bible and theology. And what he discovered over time was a very different understanding of God and what it meant to follow God that he had never heard before. He was especially moved by the book of Romans, which is some of the, what we're going to look at in my Bible studies throughout the month here. But it got started for him in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And here's the big part. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, next week I'm going to really delve into Luther's theology and how it differed from the Catholic theology of his day. Um, But here's the core right here. That the righteousness isn't up to you. Guess what? You are a sinner. And you have done some really bad stuff in your life. And you have had some good stuff you didn't do. And you are never going to make that up with God. But it doesn't matter. Because it's not your righteousness. It's God's righteousness that's important. It's how holy Jesus was. Not how holy you are. And how do you receive that? It's not through the church. It's not through uh, different rituals. It's not through punishing yourself. It's not through paying money. It's through faith. It's through this earnest believing that Christ's righteousness is enough for you. 
Now, in the months leading up to that October 500 years ago, a major campaign of, uh, of indulgences ratchets up across uh, Germany. A man named Tetzel is trying to sell these indulgences because the Pope is trying to build the very famous St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And he's got the best artists, Raphael and others, trying to paint and to do all kinds of stuff in there um, so that it will be sort of the crown jewel of the entire empire. Now, when Tetzel comes to town, he sets up plays depicting torture in hell and purgatory and then puts on a rousing speech to sell indulgences to protect your loved ones from torture. And the simple uh, German people of that day that live in this worldview of fear and of torture, buy into it. He famously used to say, when a, co- when a coin in the coffin rings, a soul from purgatory springs. When you put that coin in there, ooh, out of purgatory comes your loved ones. Luther was against this for a number of reasons. In fact, 95 of them. Okay? He saw a lot of problems with this. Part of his complaint was as a pastor. He saw his people that were poor, many of them starving, and yet they're trying to put, How, I'm, not, I'm not a very good son or grandson if I don't put my money in to get my loved ones out of purgatory, right? And so people are literally starving, but are trying to give to this offering. Part of his complaint is theological. He wants a better doctrine for what the church does. And part of it is as a person who suffered the guilt and the fear that the church is is using at this time. And he was harmed by it and he found a different way. So he wrote, for academic debate really not to be spread around. And in Latin, that had to be translated to be spread around. 95 theses. Now, I'm not going to read them all to you. But let me highlight a couple of them. Line one begins... Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed that the whole life of believers should be repentance. Your entire life should be repentance. You should be saying, I'm sorry, forgive me to God with all your life. Indulgences make you think you can just do it once. Indulgences make you think you got to do it and you got to pay and you get done. But, but Luther said, no, 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 we're always going to be repenting. In Thesis 15, Luther says, Christians are to be taught that if the Pope knew the exactations of the indulgence preachers, he would rather that St. Peter's Church should go to ashes than it should be built on the skin, flesh, and bones of his sheep. He says there, this is a nice thing for the Pope. Okay, If the Pope knew how bad it was out here, and if the Pope knew how cruel these preachers were, the Pope would not be on board with this. But then, this is where Luther starts to get in trouble. Number 82. Why does not the Pope empty purgatory for the sake of holy love and the dire need of souls that are there if he redeems an infinite number of souls for the sake of miserable money with which to build a church? Okay, what's he saying? If the Pope has the power to free from people from purgatory, why doesn't he just do it? Why doesn't he just do it out of grace and out of love instead of collecting their money first and not freeing those who can't pay the money? Okay, now he's getting fired up. In 86, he says, Why does the Pope, whose wealth is greater than the wealth of the the richest Crassus, 
build the Basilica of St. Peter with the money of poor believers rather than with his own money. Ooh. Why doesn't the Pope pocket, you know, the Pope's got all his stuff, all this wealth. Why doesn't he use his own money to pay? Now, now Luther's picking fights, you understand? And those were translated out of Latin into German. They were printed and they were spread around. Luther struck at the heart of a number of theological problems that had developed primarily during the Middle or Dark Ages. And it was a tower of cards. And when that happened, it would be like what Malcolm Gladwell calls a tipping point. And once the tipping point happened, there was no putting the cards back up. Those 95 theses would be printed, spread not just around Germany, but all over the place. Would start a movement. And the, and the Catholic Church would have to respond to this movement. One of Luther's great strengths is that he was quite a prolific writer. He wrote and he wrote and he wrote and he wrote. And then his books were selling and selling and selling. And his ideas were moving everywhere. And it really helped the printing press, by the way. Because do you know how a lot of the printers made their money? indulgences okay you're printing a book was a big deal when you had to stamp every page with the ink but an indulgence that's one page that's a really easy print job you can do in between books to keep the cash going and so as he attacks indulgences he attacks the publishers but what they found is there's way more money in martin luther than indulgences and so his movement spreads his movement spreads and the real tool is that instead of writing in latin like the church would respond to him, like academics would write. He wrote in the common tongue. And he wrote very plainly so people could understand it. And the common person started to say, oh, that's the kind of God that's actually in the Bible. Oh, that's what the church should be. And the movement kept going. They tried to silence him, of course. They went to what's called, this is the greatest name of an event ever, ready? What's called the Diet of Worms in 1521. Now, diet means meeting or gathering, and Worms was a city, so it was the gathering at Worms. But when we say diet of worms, it sounds like something gross, right? From fear factor or whatever. But the diet of Worms, 1521, Luther was asked to recant or to say publicly that he no longer believed what was in his words, in his works. He stood strong at the diet of Worms, saying this in conclusion. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. In this moment, Luther, in this moment of bravery, Luther stands and says, no, I'm going to stand by my word. And that, by the way, would put him as an object of wrath for the rest of his life. The Roman emperor then made a decree that he was allowed to be arrested and attacked anywhere. He had no protection. No law would protect him. And anyone could hurt him and not be busted for it, or they could arrest him and turn him in to be tried as a heretic, where he would most certainly be um, burned at the stake. It was not, I don't think, Luther's intention (coughs) to start Protestantism outside of the church. 
but he was forced out. Some of that's probably because of his own brashness. We'll see some of the flaws of Martin Luther as the month goes on. He did spend some time in hiding then, trying to translate the Bible into German. Because what he said was, hey, when I read the Bible, I found this God of grace and this God of love. And if people could only read it for themselves, they would see the same thing. And so he labored. He labored to give the German people a Bible in German. And and that Bible would then be used to make an English Bible. That German Bible would be the inspiration for all kinds of Bible translations. Luther would spend the rest of his life writing, training other uh, other pastors, and advising German political leaders. All the while, German was uh, uh, Luther was preaching as the pastor of the growing city of Wittenberg. He would decide that priests could get married and would reluctantly get married himself. Have a number of children, and, and we're going to talk. About, that's probably the neatest part of the whole story. And so I'm going to take a significant portion of a sermon to talk about his marriage and the strong lady that he married that really made him the guy that he was in the long run. He would spend much of his time defining the theology, governance, and worship practices of this new German church. And this movement that would, be, would move beyond Germany in books and in leaders. Many reformers would have to move to the new world. A guy named John Calvin would make a huge influence in what would eventually be Switzerland. Uh, um, and um, Not Switzerland. Anyway, um, he would train a guy named John Knox who would be instrumental in forming Presbyterianism in Scotland. And uh, that's our heritage. In fact, the Catholic Church itself has had quite a reformation in the years past. Slowly, reluctantly. Um, but the Catholic Church you would see today is not very much in its theology like the church of this day. And I'm going to talk about that too. Maybe I think after 500 years, it's time for us as Protestants to be a little less anti-Catholic. So we will be unpacking this theology and history more in a couple weeks. I think it's pretty amazing and it really has altered your life. But for today, just reflect on the fact that it all began with one spark. One piece of paper, 95 theses nailed to the door 500 years ago. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Martin Luther. <coughs> Lord, for, his, um, for your work in his life, that he would understand grace, that he would preserve for us the gospel. And I do pray that you would uh, teach us to appreciate the gospel, to appreciate God's word uh, the way he did. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.